Welcome to the teaching ministry of Magnolia's First. To learn more, visit m1bc.org. I love this series. I love the idea of being ambassadors for Christ, but I think it's very easy for us to focus primarily on the fact that we're ambassadors and forget to focus on the one for whom we are an ambassador. Right? I think sometimes where we end up in situations like this is how to be a great ambassador, not how to just be an ambassador for a really great God. For a God who's the center of all things, the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things, and who sent his son to die on a cross for, for the sins of a bunch of rebels like us, right? Like none of us were originally insiders. We were all outsiders. We were all outcasts. And the one who was inside Jesus Christ laid down his life to invite us in. And so I just want to stop and, and consider that for a second. And I want to pray before we start. Father, you are high and lifted up, and you're seated on the only throne that rules all of creation. You're above all, and you have no rival. There's none to whom we can liken you. You are holy, holy, or holiest, and it's before you that we bow. And so, Father, I pray that this morning at whatever cost, you would bring glory to your name, even if it means my total embarrassment. Bring glory to your name because you're worthy of it. You're worthy of every heart in this room. You're worthy of every ounce of their worship, every ounce of their affection, every ounce of their will. And so I pray that you take it to yourself. And that Jesus Christ would be magnified. And that he would be praised as you form and fashion people who come and worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray this for his name's sake. Amen. So we've been in a current series, uh, Ambassadors in a Foreign Land. And this is our closing series this morning. Uh, and it really the primary mission for what the series has been, has been really interesting to me, kind of what I said off the get-go because I've been kind of hyped up on the idea, but essentially that we are ambassadors for a kingdom whose king lives to invite people in, right? Like Milt's sermon last week said it really well that we shouldn't be building walls, but building bridges to bring people in, right? That's, that's our goal, not because we are super kind people, but because Jesus Christ is a super kind, humble, and loving king, and he has replicated us through rebirth to be like him, right? Well, like we believe in a king who has such a heart of compassion, for outsiders, that he is begging people to come in to the streets and the highways and the byways to grab in everyone, all the poor and all the needy and all the beggars to come into the kingdom, which if you're not aware, that's every one of us spiritually, right? We're all spiritually bankrupt and in need of the, of, of the riches of Jesus Christ. And so we believe in an ambassador, a king, uh, where well, we believe that we're ambassadors to a king who calls all to come to him, and we've spent these last few weeks kind of identifying what the work of an ambassador is, what exactly that looks like, uh, and, and today, this morning, what I want to, I keep wanting to say tonight, because I normally preach on Wednesday nights, uh, today, what I want to look at is, is what it means to be an ambassador on an internal level, 
and on an external application. I'm just going to let you all know now, this will primarily be on the internal level, right? We're going to be very introspective this morning and see uh, what makes us ambassadors in the first place, right? Like, I want to I lay a foundational reason for which we are ambassadors and then talk about what that play that play-by-play looks like in our lifestyle as we're walking this thing out. And I think very often we get really caught up on being an ambassador just means we tell everybody about Jesus, but let's not forget how much of the scriptures, especially the New Testament letters, talk about your own personal life as an ambassador. So we're going to talk about that quite a bit. Uh, But before we jump in, and I get way ahead of myself because I'm already getting there, uh, let's start with the big idea, and the big idea is this. Live with your feet on planet earth, but your focus on the kingdom of heaven. Live with your feet on planet earth, but your focus on the kingdom of heaven. And again, I'm not going to look at this from a standpoint of how to do that as much as an argument as to why that should be the nature of the ambassador of Christ. Why that should be the nature of the ambassador of Christ. And what we're going to do is we're going to be primarily, I'm just going to let you all know now, There's a lot of scripture this morning, uh, but we're going to be primarily in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4, but tons of cross-references from all over Colossians and everywhere else in the Bible, Uh, and I'm excited about that because for some reason that excites me, and I don't know why. Uh, But in Colossians 3, starting out, now Paul's, the, the, the very initial start of Paul's line is, since you have been raised with Christ. That's a fragment. But since you have been raised with Christ, and what other translations would say, that's the NLT. If you go to like NASB, which is is a a much more word for word, uh, very literal, whereas NLT is thought for thought, in the NASB it would say therefore. Therefore. Now you know if you took grammar class anywhere, anytime you see the word therefore, transitional word, so you need to return to what's before therefore because there's a reason that therefore is there. And so, what are we looking at? What's the context that's bringing Paul to this conclusion to where he would even say something like, since you have been risen with Christ? Well, that's important. That's important because in the first century, there were groups of people coming around. Uh, The apostle Paul and and the other apostles would go into the various cities and known world at the time and preach the gospel, and miraculous things were happening. And I don't just mean healings and demons and stuff. I mean miraculous things as in people who loved sin and cherished sin and only sought after sin were suddenly being born again. They were being made into a new creation through this message, through which they were then turning their whole lives around and pursuing the righteousness of the kingdom of God. And so naturally what would happen is then these false teachers would come in and they would begin to teach things uh, primarily along the lines of, yes, salvation is by grace, but you also have to keep the works of the law, otherwise you're not like fully saved, which I don't even understand. I mean, it's a very logical culture back then, but for some reason they thought that salvation could be entirely by grace as a gift, but also had to be earned, which I don't get. Like, I don't, I don't, those can't work together. They're contradictory by nature, right? And so Paul starts out with, since you have been raised with Christ, because there have been false teachers coming in that are trying to call the Colossian church toward a greater life of holiness by having to follow all these various rules to get there, right? 
So they want to kill sin. They've got the desire within them to put to death their sinful nature. But now these people are coming along. They're like, hey, you want to be holy. You need to start adding in these rules and not doing this. And hey, don't look at that. Don't taste this. Don't touch that. And they would just lay out all these stipulations that by the end of Colossians 2, Paul would say this. He'd say those things look great religiously, right? They make the person look really cool in front of everybody because of their commitment and their diligence, and it's just so powerful. But Paul says in reality, they serve no purpose in killing the indulgence of the sinful nature. Why? Listen, here's what I can promise you. If you've ever been on a fad diet and a very hardcore fad diet, been on a million of them, uh, here's what I know. I can stop eating pie for as long as I want. My craving for pie never gets lesser because I love it. So what would ultimately have to happen, if the problem isn't just Daniel eating pie, but Daniel loving pie, something has to come in and change my heart to where I would no longer love the pie anymore. And so you had these false teachers, their idea of holiness is that you could love sin all you want, just try not to participate in it. Paul comes along and says, no, no, no. Your heart has to be changed away from sin. And that's why he says, since you have been raised with Christ, we don't live by these external rules, these dietary laws, so to speak, for spiritual purity and holiness. We live by something entirely different, which is the the law of the new creation, according to Galatians chapter 6. But I'm getting getting crazy. Uh, We want to look at who is Paul addressing, though, right? As as far as the Colossians, he's not talking to everybody in Colossae in the first century. He's talking to the people in the church. But what does he say about these people? What are some descriptives about them? We'll start in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to look at three passages out of the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 1, Paul says that they're always thanking the Father. Why? Because he has enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Now, in kingdoms... Right, and me and Bob earlier were talking about uh, the German people and kind of the national pride, and and they do they stand for their nation, they serve their nation, uh, and that's an honorable thing. Well, when Paul says you were once in the kingdom of darkness, that meant that you stood for the kingdom of darkness, you honored the kingdom of darkness, you you served it. But what God has done is God has transferred you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, where you are now located, right? And so now you live in the kingdom of his dear son, where his dear son rules and reigns. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And anyone in his kingdom is in subjection to his rule, no ifs, ands, or buts. Every knee bows. Colossians chapter two, chapter one, verses 19 through 22. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and everything on earth by the means of Christ's blood on 
the cross. This includes you who were far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless and you stand before him without a single fault. Notice what he says. You were enemies with him, not just in your actions, but also in your thoughts. In fact, he starts with, you were enemies with him in your thoughts. And because you're enemies with him in your thoughts, you're also enemies in your actions. But what did God do? Did he send his son uh, to be a good moral teacher, to teach us a new philosophy of how to live life, 10 steps to a better you? Absolutely not. He sent a redeemer. He sent a hero. He sent a savior who came in, shed his blood on a cross to purchase us from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, but not only that, to wash away the stain of our sins so that now as we are brought back into God's presence, we stand before him holy and blameless and without a single fault. In other words, justified. Not because of you, but because of him. And then lastly, Galatians chapter, or I'm sorry, Colossians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. For you, now this is where things start getting very personal. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized, and with him you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. You were dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature, which was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all your sins. There is a foundational truth that must be met before anyone is truly an ambassador for Jesus Christ. They must be born into Christ. They must be born again. It's, with, it's without compromise. It's without negotia negotiation. It's just the reality of things, Right? You might be a good moral person, and that's fantastic, even though the Bible says none are good, no, not one. But morality purchases you nothing in the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the most moral man of the entire first century, Nicodemus, came to Jesus, said, we know you're a teacher sent from God. Here's what Jesus said to him. Truly I say unto you, you must be born again, or you can't even see the kingdom of heaven. A man so moral that if he walked in this room right now, we might all bow down. <laughs> And yet Jesus said, you don't even see the kingdom because you haven't been born again in order to see the kingdom of heaven. And I'll preach that until the day that I die. Because it's the requirement. Jesus preached it, I'll preach it. Paul preached it, they all preached it. We have to receive the spirit of God so that we can see the kingdom of God. And without the, without the Spirit of God, we can't see the kingdom of God. Therefore, we cannot set our sights on the kingdom. And so the Spirit's work in us as ambassadors is to open our eyes, the, the eyes of our heart, I guess you could say, if we wanted to be kind of cliche about it. But it's to open the eyes of our heart to see the kingdom of heaven that we've been transferred unto. Paul says this to Titus in Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, speaking of God, he said, He, God, saved us not 
because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Right? Not because of things you've done, but because God is merciful. When you walk into that kingdom on that day and those gates open and he says, well done, good and faithful servant, it's because he's merciful, not because you're good. It's because he's merciful. And then he says, he washed away our sins, giving us a new birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now that's nothing new. Paul wrote that in the New Testament, Titus 3.5, but that is not a new thought. Uh, Paul's taking that from the Old Testament. This whole idea of the Spirit coming and giving us a new life and a new birth, that's all Old Testament language. Jeremiah chapter 31, God spoke through his prophet and said when the new covenant time would come, when the days of Titus, when the new covenant time would come, that he would write his law on our hearts and on our minds. It wouldn't be on tablets of stone that we continue to break over and over, but that he would take his law and he would engrave it within us and the deepest part of our being. And then in Ezekiel chapter 36, he also said through that prophet how he would do it. Because what he would do is he would fill us with his spirit and he would cause us to walk in his statutes and to carefully obey his ordinances. Holy Spirit's essential to this whole thing. Third person of the Trinity, so, ne so necessary for your salvation, it's unbelievable. He's our sanctifier. He's the one that takes hold of our hearts and our minds and our desires and our affections and our wills and he stirs us up toward the kingdom of heaven. Without him, we're just religious hypocrites. And so the personal work of the ambassador, the thing that you're to be doing on your own, whether you're in front of people or at home when no one's watching, Colossians 3.2, think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of the earth. Now this is where... Uh, things can get a little tricky, right? Because then we start to go, well, what does that even mean? Like, am I just supposed to try and imagine what heaven looks like all the time? No. Like, you can memorize Isaiah 6 and Revelation 4 with the throne room and think that maybe that's what it's talking about, but it's not. Listen, the series is ambassadors. What does an ambassador do? He establishes his home country in another country, right? That's, what, that's his job is to stand for that, to be a protect. Like, as ambassadors, if we're going to set our sights on the realities of heaven... It doesn't mean keep trying to imagine what the throne looks like, but it means to live in a manner and stand for a manner and invite other people into a manner of living that is in accordance with the kingdom of heaven. And that's why, uh, if you think about Romans 12 too, speaking to believers, right? Now this, this verse is perfect for the big idea. Romans 12 too, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Why? You don't belong here. You've been transferred out of this place, but instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. There's a lot to do today about spiritual warfare, and it's a very real thing. But can I just be honest with you really quickly? The primary, the primary place of spiritual warfare in your life, it's right here before it's anywhere else. What goes on in your mind, what you're believing about God, what you're believing about you, what you're believing about other people, what you're believing about your purpose, 
Satan's not a ghoul and goblin waiting to scare you around every corner. He's the father of all lies. He comes to deceive. As ambassadors, we stand for what's true. And so what does it look like then to be heavenly minded? Paul tells us in Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, he says, clothe yourselves with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Because the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. That's the attributes and the characteristics of a person who is living and fighting to be an ambassador for Christ. Now, I know some of you are going, oh, here we go, right? Put on the facade of all these little things. We'll get, we'll get deeper than that. I'm not just saying come in here and act like you're uh, tenderhearted and merciful and act like you're kind and act like you're humble. There's a lot of fake it till you make it stuff, and I'm just going to be honest, that's utter trash. The Bible never calls you to fake it till you make it. The Bible calls you to be born again. And when you are, those things are written on your heart. But we still fight with that, right? Like, think about this. Philippians chapter 4. This one really rocked me. Philippians 4 verse 8 really rocked me the first time because for a lot of things, I was like, how exactly does kingdom-mindedness apply, right? Like, that was a weird thing for me. And I remember the first time I read this, and I was like, I don't know why. Not, it wasn't the, probably the 67th time I read it, first time it kicked in. Uh, but Paul says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. It's bizarre how often this is where the hypocritical nature comes in. Listen, even, even born again, even, even Christ followers, legitimate believers, we can put on the mask of tenderhearted mercy, the mask of kindness, the mask of humility, the mask of gentleness, all on the inside, all kinds of vicious disgustingness. And a lot of the reason is because what we're doing is we're thinking that it's all about what we look like and we're forgetting what's going on in here and we stop fighting for what happens in the mind. And Paul says, if you want this to come to pass, you need to be thinking about the things that are true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Set your minds on them. Right? And listen, I'm going to say something that's very unpopular, especially amongst youth, and I still say it every time. The things that you watch and the things that you listen to. Listen, I'm not your parents. I'm younger than the majority of you. I can't tell you what you can watch and what you can listen to. But I can say this. If it's not following inside of those categories, it's probably not assisting you at all in growing in your faith. Just to be very honest with you. I get you're all adults. And again, you're probably, most of you are probably older than me. But I'm not standing up here as your parent. I'm standing up here with Scripture and telling you what it calls us to do. To fix our thoughts on those things. But notice what Paul says. He says, think about the things of heaven and not the things of the earth. So what's, the, what's in the contrast there? What's the things of the earth look like? 
This is where it gets painful. Because a lot of this resonates, man. Listen to what he says about the earthly things. Colossians chapter 3, verses 5 and then 8 through 9. So put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you. Have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for a greedy person is an idolater who's worshiping the things of this world. But now get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Notice what he's not saying? He's not saying, hey, if you're going to be a good little Christian boy or girl, you better not do these things. You better watch your language. He's not saying that. He says something far more encouraging. He says, remember something. If you're in Christ... That old sinful nature has died off. You're stripping that thing off day after day and putting it to death. So stop taking him down off the cross and putting him back on. I was just talking with a guy last night. I grew up a little punk, okay? Uh, and I listened to some, some pretty crazy music. I don't know that anyone in here will relate to it, but essentially it was a, a very underground uh, Houston rap. You could, it wasn't even like legal to sell. I don't, I don't know, but we would pay cash for a CD. Uh, that they would give you under a, under a counter. At a, <laughs> anyway, uh, I was talking with this guy who's from Houston. He's a little bit younger than me, but we got on the conversation of Houston rap, started talking about I said, man, you know the crazy thing? A lot of that stuff I just can't listen to anymore because back when I used to listen to it, it was also very connected with a, 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 a lot of drugs in my past. And so for me to even start to listen to that kind of thing starts to bring up a lot of old feelings that ultimately what's happening is that's me going up to the cross and trying to pull Daniel down, who's been crucified with Christ, and try to put that old guy back on and walk around like I'm still 18 years old and tough, right? I'm 36. It's time to man up. And so this is all old nature that needs to be put to death. Don't, don't be feeding him with old thoughts. So we don't put these things off because we want to go to heaven. We put them off because we're already in heaven. We've been transferred to the kingdom of the Son. And so we live like it. We live like ambassadors. But where the dilemma comes in for everyone, all of us, Galatians 5.17, man, one of the most oddly encouraging verses of my entire life. Paul says this, Galatians 5.17, The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit... The Spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires. You know why it's encouraging? Because I'm definitely like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I'm telling you right now, I'm so motivated toward the kingdom of heaven, it's unbelievable. But I promise you by 2 p.m., there's going to be something else going, hey man, this would be a really good idea and it has nothing to do with the kingdom of heaven at all. And there's going to be a part of me that goes, that does sound really fun. Two natures is what Paul says. You've got the nature of the Spirit abiding in you, and what the nature of the Spirit is doing is He's motivating you to live toward the kingdom of heaven. But you've also still got, if you've been born again, you've still got the sinful nature, and the sinful nature is desiring after things that are in opposition to the Spirit. And that's why even as, even as Christ followers, to follow your heart still doesn't make sense entirely. You need a guide, you need the Spirit, and you need the Word. The heart is deceitful still. And we still have within us this second nature that we need to be constantly 
fighting against. This is the struggle of being an ambassador in a foreign land. Listen, if, if, the, if the struggle weren't there, Paul wouldn't have had to write to the Romans to not be conformed to the world. There's still something within them that says, no, I really think I should conform to the world. And so Paul argues against that, and he urges and pleads with us to fight against that old nature that looks nothing like an ambassador for the kingdom. So what's the key to putting it to death? Fixing your thoughts on the kingdom of heaven. And I know, listen, that's not, I get it. That is not the most attractive thing. We'd rather have some kind of mathematical equation with things that we can write down and do. But in reality, it's going to be filling your mind with the thoughts of God. Filling your mind with the thoughts of God. That's, that's going to be the reality of it. Setting your mind on the kingdom. But again, again, listen. I'm not asking you to set your mind on the kingdom so you can go to the kingdom. I'm saying if you already belong in the kingdom... Why are you wanting to think about anything else? Don't you understand those old thoughts are only looking to destroy you? Look at what Paul's motivation is. Colossians 3.3 For you died to this life. And your real life is hidden with Christ in God. You've died to this life, and your real life is hidden with Christ in God. Now, here's the question. If our life is hidden with Christ, where on earth is Christ? Well, according to the end of, the end of Ephesians chapter 1, Christ has been elevated to the highest place of all authority. He's been elevated above every power, Every principality, every name that's ever named, he is the highest. There's none even equal. He's the ruler of all things. And Paul says that our life is hidden with him there, in that place. And that we should be living like that. But now, here's the even better thing. And I love this. Uh, in, when we were in Colossians 3 earlier, and I put a little bit of emphasis uh, on uh, make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Like, that's a big one. I need a lot of forgiveness. I don't know if you all know that. I need you to forgive me a lot, right? Maybe even already this morning. Uh, but, I, you know what's beautiful about this? Paul's not asking you to come and do anything that Jesus wouldn't do, that Jesus didn't do, right? How did, how did Jesus get to the throne so high in the first place. What's bizarre is according to Philippians chapter 2, he was already there. Philippians 2 said that even though he was one with God, he didn't consider that a privilege to be cling, clinged on to. He didn't, he didn't think that that was something to hold, right? But instead, from a high and lofty throne above everything else, he looked down on us, a bunch of rebels, a bunch of people living in sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desire, uh, being greedy for everything that we could possibly gr be greedy for, worshiping the creation rather than the creator, filled with anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and all kinds of filthy language, lying constantly about everything just to save our own skin. 
He looks down on us, not considering His highness to be a thing to be grasped, but instead set aside the divine privileges and came down as a man, according to Philippians chapter 2. Obedient to the law, obedient to the Father, obedient all the way to the point of death, and what Paul says, even death on a cross. Not just any death, death on a cross. Why so, so specific? People who haven't done a lot of their homework say, well, because Roman torture was horrible. That's not the only reason. It was horrible. But God's own law says if any man is hanged on a tree, he's cursed by God. That's Deuteronomy chapter 21. Christ is specifically hung on a tree for a reason. So that by his death, he could save us from the curses of the law by becoming a curse for us. How did Jesus Christ come to this place that is higher than any name, higher than any power, higher than any principality with the highest of thrones by coming down from it first and humbling himself to the point of man to the death of a criminal? Why? So that all us criminals could hear that message that God loves us so much in all of his mercy that he would send his own son pay the debt for our sin to reconcile us back, to redeem us into that kingdom so we could be transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And understand something. When you're in the kingdom of darkness, you're not groping for truth. You love darkness. That's what John chapter 3 teaches. The light came into the world, but we love the darkness more. Right? I'm doing it. Listen, I understand it's offensive, but I'm doing everything I can to take the power out of your hands. You by nature are at enmity with God. But God in his amazing love, do you understand how radical? If you were good in trying your best to find God and then he sent his son, like that's kind of loving, but the fact that you were in complete hostility toward him and he still sent his son, <laughs> that's a radical love we don't even comprehend. He loves us so much that he would come down and make himself into nothing so that we could have everything. And so listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 6. Right? If you, if you set the context for a minute, we just got done, Paul, or Paul just got done explaining how uh, we've all been dead in, in our sins and the trespasses of our sinful nature and so on and so forth, really just kind of condemning all of mankind, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, it makes you feel bad. And then he starts out with the highest and most lofty theological term in all of existence, but God. But God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised us, when he raised Christ from the dead, for he raised us up from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. God didn't just send Jesus to die for your sins. He sent Jesus to die for your sins to redeem you back, to transfer you out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son so that you could be lifted up with him and seated on a throne in heaven, right? Now, if that's true for you, then shouldn't the rest of your life be playing out that direction? It only makes sense. It's the only logical outcome.
And so what do we do with it? I've got two closing statements that I don't even know how to expound on after all that. Number one, man, fixate your minds on the realities of heaven. You understand that's where you belong? You understand this earth isn't what you were created for? We're like blind little children running around playing with things that uh, C.S. Lewis compares us to, to kids in a slum making mud pies because we don't understand what it's like to, for, to have a vacation at sea. Right? We've been called to something so much higher and so much greater. And yet we're perfectly content wallowing around down here in this. Man, if we're ambassadors, we've been transferred out of a kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the highest of kings. And he's got an order and a harmony that meets every single desire and every single need of your heart ever. And he calls you unto that. Fixate your minds on the realities of heaven, whatever it takes. But then secondly, as an ambassador, labor in prayer and in deed to advance his kingdom here. This has been a difficult one for me uh, because as a pastor, I know I've heard Milt say this before as well, uh, as pastors and people who work in ministry, we tend to think because we preach that that kind of exempts us from all other forms of spreading and advancing the kingdom. Like we just tell it to y'all and y'all guys go and do it. And so it's so bizarre how often I find myself living a prayerless life in atmospheres that need the gospel and not saying anything about it. And I'm like, man, if I really craved the kingdom that badly, if I really wanted the kingdom that badly, and if I really believe that my king loves these people that much, then wouldn't I be the most hateful and, and, and just contradictory person on the planet to not be laboring to advance that same kingdom here now? It'd only be a taste of what's to come, a small appetizer, but wouldn't it be so much better than living in a world that's nothing but darkness? Disobeying a king who's called you to himself and every other outsider? We've been given such a powerful privilege of prayer. Such a powerful privilege. Probably nothing more powerful that you could possibly do other than be praying. But then just understand this. If you're going to pray, follow it up. Follow it up. Among the brothers and sisters, live in harmony with one another. And I don't just mean do it here, right? Because this is what also doesn't make sense. I'm, I'm a little early, so I'm going to rant. Uh, this is what also doesn't make sense, if I can be very honest. And this is going to be maybe offensive. When we come here and we put on this face like we all get along and everything's super cool, and then from here we go to a restaurant and just rag on all the people we just saw here, and how terrible maybe the worship was, and how much we couldn't stand the preacher, and all these various things, and you've got waiters and waitresses and people sitting around you hearing you say those things, knowing that you go to a church, and you think they want in on that? The scriptures don't call us to harmony when we're inside this building, because this, this building is not the church, the people are. Which means we're to live in harmony whether we're at home by ourselves, or whether we're out with everybody else, or wherever we are. That should be our lifestyle. And so if we're going to look to advance the kingdom, it calls you to a holy lifestyle, to a pursuit of godliness, to looking like Christ, to laying down your own uh, conveniences, 
to patience, to mercy, to love, forgiveness, and to accountability. But if you're a believer, that's the task you've been called to. And you've been empowered to do it as you've been brought into his kingdom. He didn't leave you here to figure it out. So that's what we do with a band of brothers and sisters. We fight for the kingdom that one day is going to come. Habakkuk 2.14 says there will be a day that comes in which the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God just as the seas cover the land. That day will come. That's without question. That's a locked bet. That's what we look forward to. Let's pray. Father, I always think it's such a privilege to be able to get up and share your word. But it's so hypocritical to only live it when I'm up here. So I pray for myself to live out this word with passion. Hearts compelled by love. And I pray for everyone else in this room, all the congregation, that their hearts will be abounding in love as well. Love for you, love for their neighbor. Father, I'm praying that we wouldn't move forward playing church, that we wouldn't leave here having heard a lesson, but that we would have left this room having encountered the living God.